You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to Fly in the Call, candid conversations on music. Today, I'm excited to share an interview with Dan Campbell of The Wonder Years. The Wonder Years have been my favorite band for nearly a decade, so I'll try to keep this short and sweet. The band recently released Burst and Decay Volume 2, reworking songs spanning their career in a more stripped-down context, and are in the middle of a now-postponed tour with Free Throw, Spanish Love Songs, and Pool Kids, where they play two sets each night, one acoustic and one electric. We also just passed the 10-year anniversary of The Upsides, the album that jump-started their career and is the first in a still-growing run of albums that showcase astounding growth, both personal and musical. Dan and I discuss all this and more, so please enjoy our conversation. Has Tor been treating you so far? Uh, good, good. Everyone, you know, a little under the weather, just, you know how it goes. One person on a tour gets sick and everyone is going to get sick. Um, <laughs> but, I, I, you know, we're in Southern California. It's been a productive day already. I'm knocking out this interview with you. <laughs> um, you know, working on a bunch of other stuff. I have another, like, 75 or so lyrics to write out for this whole fundraising <laughs> thing that I'm doing. So I got to get on top of that. One of the questions I wanted to ask you about was about um, like the Bernie fundraiser and just kind of like the general idea of, um, you know, how important you've made sort of like activism to like the band's message. Could you talk a little bit about that? They uh, ask me pretty often, actually more often than I would have ever expected if, they, if I could write out tattoos for them. And I always say, yeah, happy to do it, except you gotta know one my handwriting is very bad so please feel free to have your artist change it and two uh you know there's a chance that in this moment like right after i got off stage or after i've written a bunch of these i'm gonna have like a spelling error so please please (laughs) please proofread um but yesterday morning i woke up and thought uh super tuesday didn't go exactly the way i wanted to i don't think it's you know uh like any sort of like death blow or anything but i didn't love the way that it went and i thought instead of you know wallowing in in my uh frustration with that i would try to do something productive and so i just said hey if anyone wants me to write out a tattoo i'm happy to do it um and i'll do as many as i get and you know just donate any amount of money to the standards campaign whatever you feel like you can afford and um you know tweet it at me and i'll I'll write out your thing and then i went into a meeting (laughs) and i figured I'd walk out and I'd knock out about 20 of these things and call it a day. And there were like 350 at that time. I think when all is said and done, I will probably have done over 500 of them. And it seems like the average donation is, you know, somewhere in like 
$15-ish. It's hard to tell because not everyone, you know, felt comfortable putting their, you know, amount on it. But if I average the ones that I did see, I would say it averages about 15 bucks. So I think that, you know, we raised probably around $7,500, which is sick, but it has been incredibly time consuming. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it must be especially tiring, like between playing every night two sets and then going back and doing that too. Yeah. So like, you know, for instance, today, just like a, a pretty average day, I woke up looked over the merch numbers and trying to figure out our reorders. So like I'm, I spent a lot of time in Excel, like running these like rate of sale formulas that I wrote um, that are not complicated. I shouldn't say I wrote it. I, I did basic ass math, um, <laughs> but I'm trying to, you know, you, you have to look at like lead times and production times and all of that to try to figure out like how fast we can get these in, how many days are we going to be out of stock to like remove those sales from the, the formula and like looking at, trends in how certain things like okay the tour shirt is sold out in double x is anything going up in a corresponding move and like trying to make sure that i'm aware of that so i don't order with this like misleading data and then when the gym for about an hour um knocked that out came back i'm doing this phone call and then i'm going to finish writing these things for bernie finish this merch order um also working on a merch order for future teens and then uh hopping in for sound check and then, yeah, then we're going to play two sets later tonight, and at some point I'll sleep. <laughs> yeah, and um, that kind of, like, works into um, just about kind of, like, your overall, like, worth ethic. Um, like, Sundridge Pavement Society last year was kind of supposed to be a way to keep fans engaged during, like, a slower time for the band, and it kind of ended up being just as busy as any other year for you. So, like, would you consider yourself a workaholic? Uh, you know, it's not like a, a thing I had really thought much about. Um, until I was reading these questions a few minutes ago. Also, I was like, oh, I'll read these things, you know, a day or two before the interview. And then I, again, the Bernie uh, lyric idea came up and that took up my whole day yesterday. Um, but as I was, I was texting my wife and I was like, okay, I think I only have like another 150 to go. And she was like, you're such a fucking masochist. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? She's like, are you kidding me? Do you remember when you did four shows in 24 hours? Like, do you remember when you, like, all these, like, insane ideas that you have? Um, And, yeah, I guess I really do. I like working. I like to work. Um, I like to feel productive. It makes my my brain feel better when I am accomplishing things. And so, like, I start every day with a to-do list, and I just simply as possible and start another one. Um, I have a tendency to be the person that's, like, if I have like a, a slow couple of days, I'll be in the shower thinking like, I could probably start another band and a podcast and a clothing company and a nonprofit, right? <laughs> um, you know, and then I'll like get to work on one or two of them. And then like an, a fucking ocean of Wonder Years or Aaron West or anything else stuff will, will land and I'll have to get back to work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, even harder now with, with the baby too, so. For sure. Yeah, and I mean... I feel like as a fan, that's been something that's been really exciting to see throughout the whole career. Um, and I'm just curious, like, how does it play into the fan base you feel like and like the way that they connect to the band and the music? Well, I think that one, we're, we're very lucky because the fan base has been like incredibly dedicated. I, I don't think there are a lot of bands that get the longevity that we have and that are still just, again, nerd shit but looking over like the data from this tour we're up 
from, you know, two years ago, the last time we did these markets, it's like, it's kind of crazy um, to have such, I mean, or it's just so lucky to have such a dedicated fan base that they kind of rides with us through whatever crazy idea we have. Like there's not, when we said that, you know, we're thinking about the four shows in 24 hours thing a lot this week because we were talking to free throw about it and trying to walk them through how it was like physically possible. Mm-hmm. And then we started saying, could we do six next time? So table that maybe. <laughs> um, but you know, there are not a lot of fan bases that'll go, oh, you want to do four shows in 24 hours? Sure, I'll come to a show where doors are at one in the morning or 10 in the morning, which two of the shows were. Like, um, you know, we, we just, uh, we feel lucky that we have people that are like, yeah, I'll indulge your stupid fucking idea, guys. <laughs> I guess that kind of also goes into bursting into decay a little bit. Not not the stupid part, but the embracing part. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm just curious kind of like how that, like the first volume of that kind of like came about. Like I know you had writer's block um, going into... Um, why can't I think of <laughs> the second to last You're writing in... You're probably thinking of Nicholas of the Heaven was the yes. writer's block record for me. Um, yes. But yeah, for Burst and Decay, we were touring on No Close to Heaven, and we had done uh, a lot of touring. We'd done a lot of countries. Um, there's like a world tour poster that, that was available for a while that I have hanging in my house that like I still am like, holy shit, we really played a lot of shows in that cycle uh, in a lot of places. And yeah, when we kind of wrapped that, we were like, okay, we want to write a new record, but we don't want to just like force one out and we also didn't have a deal in place at that time we had finished up our our deal with hopeless and we were like taking meetings with everyone and and considering what the right home for the next record was and it ended up being going back to hopeless eventually but all of those things kind of like not wanting to rush writing needing some time to recuperate not having a label at the moment we needed to we didn't want to rush out a record and we didn't and we knew that we couldn't really Mm -hmm. uh but we also felt like it was important to just let people know, like, hey, we're, we're still alive, we're still here, we're still working hard for you. Um, we're certainly not kicking back right now. And so well, let's just do something kind of in the meantime. Let's like, let's try to, and we had done, uh, for a while we were doing these like VIP sessions of the shows where we would do like another full set for people, an acoustic set. Mm-hmm. And when we went to do that, we had kind of started doing this like, rearranging the songs and finding different ways that they could be interesting to us. I mean, what if we did an EP of that? And uh, we kind of went to work on it and did the EP and we're like, okay, we like how it came out. Let's do a little tour and see if people respond to it. Maybe they will and maybe they won't. And it got a great response. And so we kind of said, okay, well, this could be a series for us. You know, this could be like, and every couple of years we can do another one of these. We have a ton of songs in the catalog to pull from. So, um, you know, let's just, do it when we feel like it's the right time and something that we'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, can you walk me through a little bit of like the process for the reimaginings? I mean, I know like on the second volume especially, there's um, a lot more experimentation, especially with like Washington Square Park, which kind of takes on you know a very different like context. Yeah, I think the, so the obviously the first step is like picking songs, and we we just try to look at the the whole breadth of the catalog and say like okay like let's make sure we're, we're spreading it out. Like we don't want to do seven songs off of No Closer to Heaven or something like that. Let's make sure we're getting the whole thing. And so we're, we're going through each record, record by record and saying like, okay, like are people going to be interested in another version of this? And are we interested in another version of this? And if the answer to both of those is yes, then can we do an interesting version of this song? Mm-hmm. Um, 
to that, we assembled what we thought was the track list. And then we kind of just go in and say, okay, like, thesis statement for this one. What do you want to do to it? Like, does anyone have an idea for, like, the guiding light to how we're going to get this song to a different place? Mm-hmm. And so just song by song, we, we go through that. And then we went to the studio with, uh, with Ace Enders and Nick Pizzese and at uh, Lumberyard and uh, kind of went through it with them, showed them the ideas, listened to their input and went to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned like doing it with Ace at Lumberyard. And I know that's kind of where a lot of the Aaron West stuff comes together as well. Was, did, was that project something that like influenced the idea for the first one or the process of either of them? I think the only thing that I could say, like, it categorically, categorically influenced was going face. Um, was just knowing, you know, hey, here's somebody reasonably local that I know that at that point, like, I worked really well with and Michael worked really well with is he tracks some drums on the Air and West stuff. And I um, mean, like, let's, let's try it. Let's give that a shot. And well, we had Vince Roddy mixed both of them and thought he did an amazing job on both. And we're really happy with how all that came out. Yeah. And um, were there any like songs that you kind of wanted to have on either of the volumes that you just kind of couldn't crack like the deconstructing of? I think the only one that had gotten brought up and then we were like, wait, this isn't going to work was uh, Kennedy really wanted to do. You maybe want to be a saint from suburbia. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, how can we make this song that has a literal blast beat in it work <laughs> acoustic um, or like stripped down or like whatever you want to call it, vibey or however we, we define these songs. Because I don't want to define them just by like the guitar that's being played. I think they're more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, we were just like, that might be too tall a task right now. Let's table that one. Maybe we come back to it at a different, different uh, verse of the game. Yeah. And so are there already plans for like a third in the series? No, no, we have to work on, on new music now. Um, <laughs> that, that's got to be the next step for us, you know, over the course of however long that's going to take. We haven't started that process yet, but we know that it is the next thing to start. Oh, perfect. And, um, you know, this is obviously we just passed like the 10 years of the upsides. So I wanted to ask a couple questions about that. And I, I know that like, you know, that was kind of like the do or die album for you kind of either, you know, the band will pop off a bit more or, you know, you'll kind of fizzle out. Um, I'm just curious, kind of like, what were some of the, um, like, feelings around, like, the recording and the, pre-re- the pre-release or, like, some of the expectations that you had for that? I don't know if we necessarily had expectations. Like, we didn't know. It's hard to say, like, that I felt like it was going to do this or I felt like it was going to do that. I know that when we were writing it, there were a lot of conversations that, like, you can't just say it's good enough. Like no song at that point in time, we, we weren't going to say, hey, this one's good enough. Throw it on the record, right? Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to make sure because we had just a little bit of, of buzz or heat, right? Like we had just a tiny bit mm-hmm. going for us. And we thought like, okay, so, you know, you put out an EP that people like with One People Static Forever. You followed up with a split and distances that people like. And now you either put out a record that they love and you get the opportunity to, to do this or give this a real try, or you put out a record where they go, eh, the EP was better and that's that, mm-hmm. you know, then, then you got to wrap it up. So we just, we knew that the stakes were what they were in that and that you don't really get, especially at that time, um, you only get a second shot at it. Mm-hmm. So we just put everything we had into writing it and, uh, and just thought like, okay, like, all we can do is, uh, you know, the only thing we control here is how hard we work. 
The only thing we can control is how good the songs are, you know, how good the record sounds, how good the marketing plan is, like, do is control, like, go out there and put on the best show every night, put together the most, in- like, interesting way to get people to listen to the record. So we just, you know, threw ourselves into that and said, you don't want to regret it. Like, you don't want to look back and say, you could have done more, you could have worked harder, you were, you know, like, half-assing this or that. So we just said, all right, put, put your whole ass into it. And uh, <laughs> if it works, it works. At least you know you tried your hardest. Yeah, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the story behind um, the line about having a breakdown in an Outback Steakhouse bathroom on I Was Scared and I'm Sorry was about the album leaking early. And if that's correct, could you tell me a little bit about that and like how that felt? It was just a confluence of things, at the, you know, all happening at the same time. So like at that point... Uh, like I had a relationship end that also meant I, you know, no longer had a place to live. Um, and I was a student for the last four years or, you know, five years. So we took some time off the tour, not doing that anymore. I'm not in this relationship anymore. I don't live in that house anymore. Uh, you know, we're, we, we quit all of our jobs. We're, you know, a, not abandoning all of our friends, but we're about to leave them for the foreseeable future when we go you know, tour in between these stories, I literally don't have a place to live. Everything is on the line. It has to go perfect. Mm-hmm. And then the record leaked and it was like, okay, are we fucked? Like, is that it? Like, because we knew at that point in time, like we knew like how important record sales were. There was a streaming option, right? And so we thought that our best chance to, to show people, to show labels and management and agents and all the people that like, could help us moving forward. We know the best way to show them that we're valuable is to like blow away their expectations for sales, to like crack the billboard charts of this like straight up like band that plays basement shows. Mm-hmm. And if we had this big plan to do it, we had this extensive pre-order. And like I said, we were working super hard. We did these like release shows in five cities. We spent all the money we made on the release shows, we spent to do them because we were flying places for the first time. And, um, and, I, and we just thought like, okay, the record leaked. Does that mean no one's gonna actually buy it? And does that mean we like our like swing at this is gonna miss? And so it was definitely uh, a tough day for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, also kind of going off of that, um, I was scared of, I'm sorry, was, was recently voted on like the one year subreddit as they did like a survivor where they el- eliminated one song off the upsides each day or each time there was a round and to many people's disbelief i was scared and i'm sorry one um and i'm i remember seeing um you guys live i think it was on the greatest generation world tour um and you kind of like you played an lg for baby blue and then i was scared and i'm sorry and you kind of like told the story about the connection between those two songs and i just think that would be something that other people would be excited to hear so would you be able to give like a recap of that um yeah, I mean, as briefly as I can, is that they're, they're connected by that one story, which is to say that, um, you know, I had been with, with my partner at the time, we had been, you know, robbed at gunpoint in front of my house. And, um, you know, and it really shook me for a while. I, I was like legitimately like afraid to leave the house after dark for a long time. Um, you know, I wasn't living in a particularly safe neighborhood. It was just the neighborhood that I could afford. Crazy now, because that neighborhood now has like, you know, like gastro pubs and like, you know, like 
fancy beer gardens and shit. <laughs> but uh, at the time, it was not a super safe place to live. And, um, you know, it, it like it really fucked up like the next like year for me. Uh, I was like afraid to be a part of anything, like afraid to go out to any gatherings. It was like a total shut in for a while. And it's referenced again in, in that song when we were talking about sitting in the back of a cop car. Just as a, you know, a, a formative night for a number of reasons. Like one, it, it was terrifying. Uh, two, it affected me and my relationships with a lot of people going forward because all of a sudden I was like unwilling to go out and I was like, you know, really reclusive. Um, and three, I remember, and this doesn't really come into, I'm scared, I'm sorry as much, but I remember the police officer being like, I can't believe that you live here. You should buy a gun. I'm thinking, for fucking what? So that I could shoot a 16-year-old kid that took my T-Mobile sidekick too? <laughs> Big pass for me on that, man. Like, how do you not think that lives are worth more than that? Uh, the value of that kid's life is clearly worth more than my, like, piece of shit cell phone and, like, bike that I took from my uncle that he left in my basement in 1988. It's, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely a formative night. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I was curious, are there any um, other upside celebrations planned besides the um, slam dunk performance in full of it? So we're, we started actually kind of thinking about it yesterday. We met with our agent yesterday and said, it, it seems like people might want it. Like, can you start to take the temperature? Um, and like, we're going to go do the slam dunk shows and we'll see how fans react to that. And, um, you know, maybe put something together. If it, you know, the response online seemed to say, we would like you to play shows where you play that record. Mm -hmm. uh, but you never know if uh, people are going to actually, you know, show up and show out for these things. So we want to, we want to see it. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I just like to kind of wrap up the same way uh, every episode by just asking for either like a piece of advice or something like you've been thinking about lately, um, either about life or music that you would just like to share. Um, of, uh, involved my kid in parenting and like the, the journey I've been on with that, but that's not, you know, applicable to everybody. So I think maybe another thing I've been thinking about recently is like, um, is empathy in general and, and understanding, understanding that while you in your brain, in the universe that your brain has created for you are very important and like you are right. But no more important than someone else. And I think that the way that things can be presented to us can make it feel not that way. You know, when you, it's very easy to be like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, I see people talking about, like, war, like, these, like, oh, yeah, like, good thing that, or like, yeah, this, this bomb was a good thing. Like, a bomb is ever a good thing. Um, like, the loss of human life is ever a good thing. And I think that people have trouble relating to cultures that they don't have any connection to, or people that they don't have any connection to it's hard for people to understand uh, or to empathize with like, okay, like, yes, maybe you have healthcare through your employer, but that doesn't mean that everybody does and everybody deserves to. Mm -hmm. And like, yes, maybe you don't know anyone that lives in Syria, but that doesn't mean they're not fucking people that have lives that are much more similar to yours than they are dissimilar to yours. And those lives have value and it's not, okay to just write those lives off as like casualties of war i, I just 
I'm saying this poorly. I'm not doing a great job of what I want to express right now. Um, but the idea rings true. Is I think that like it's important to think of every human's value as the same value as yours. And also sometimes even when you disagree with those people, which is to say, I was inspired recently a lot by um, someone that worked at the, and they were cleaning up the glass and they said, we don't know who did this, but we're fighting for you too. And that struck me intensely because there are a lot of people in this country that I agree with or that I disagree with vehemently. Um, but I still believe that they deserve healthcare. I still believe that they deserve a clean planet. I still believe that they deserve a, a just justice system. They're still people, and you know, and they still deserve human rights. Well, how about that? I'm still kind of in shock that it happened. Thank you so much to Dan for taking the time to talk, and to the Wonder Years for 10 years and counting of amazing memories. Listen to Burst and Decay Volume 2 out now, and keep your eyes peeled for rescheduled tour dates. I hope you're all doing well and staying healthy during these times of social distancing. I'm putting together a special episode for bands who have been affected by show cancellations, open to anyone who would like to self-submit a voice memo answering a few quick questions. Details for that can be found in the pinned tweet in my Twitter profile, at FlyInTheCallPod. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyInTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyInTheCallPod at gmail.com, and please vote for Bernie. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.